1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Profoundly Pointless podcast. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to look at the scariest places and the best ghosts.
1: If you don't spend at least a minute wondering what comes next, then you're lying to me. (laughs) You know, we've we've all thought about that, whether we were brought up in a religion or not. And so I think that this just taps into something big. I went down there by myself because I didn't have anyone to go with me. (laughs) And I'm going through these tunnels and it's, uh, you know, making lefts and rights. And then I come to this doorway with a sign in French above that says, stop, this is the Empire of the Dead.
0: Like what kind of ghost would you be? Would you be one of those like evil spirits? Or would you be like the occasional ghost that just like knocks a can off the shelf just to scare somebody?
2: I think I would be mainly what I am in life, just kind of annoying. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you know me or you've been listening to this podcast for a little bit, you know that I can't handle anything scary. Scary movies, scary places, anything like that. But I really like ghost stories. I think there's something about it that just engages all of us. Our first guest has the best ghost stories. He's an author, a podcaster, he's contributed to the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures show, and he's been to all of these really scary places. This is Jeff Belanger. So what got you interested in the paranormal?
1: I grew up in an old New England town, and I had friends from a very very young age that said their houses were haunted, and I was intrigued. I wanted to find out more. I mean, we're talking about houses that were mid-1700s that predated the founding of the country, and so we'd have sleepovers. And I remember hearing stories about an old man that just walks down the hall and disappears into the next room. And I said, wow, it wasn't like a Hollywood horror movie. There wasn't blood dripping out of the walls. And this is back in the early 80s, so ghosts weren't out of the closet yet. And my friend's parents would tell me, yeah, don't tell your folks. Our house is haunted. They'll think we're crazy. They'll have us locked up. And I was just intrigued. And I went on to become a writer, and I wrote for newspapers and magazines. And around October, you go looking for ghost stories. I was a feature writer. That's what we did. And I loved that part of it. I loved finding uh, these great stories, finding that sometimes history, History backs up some of these legends and just being inside of it and somehow or another without any plan whatsoever that turned into a career <laughs> which is uh, which is awesome. I can't imagine doing anything else today, but that was not the original plan. The original plan was to just be a writer, but this subject just drew me in
2: do is there a tipping point in terms of okay, I'm getting enough whatever from this. Now I have to make this my career or did you did that just kind of happen all of a sudden?
1: Yeah, so in the uh, 1999, I started a website called ghostvillage.com. And I just put on that website, hey, tell me about your ghost experiences. And every few weeks, someone would send me an email. And what was six pages of content eventually turned into 50,000 pages of content. And then I started uh, you know, doing more and more work. I got my first book deal in 2004, and it was a $5,000 book advance. I don't mean to brag, but it took me eight months to write that book. And I had a really lucrative tech job at the time that was sending me all over the world where I would like sneak off and check out haunted places. And I quit my very lucrative tech job for $5,000. And it took me about eight months to write the book if you'd like to go ahead and figure out what I was pulling in about monthly. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but it was it was a great experience. I never looked back. And after that, I just wrote more books. And I was fortunate to pick up a little freelance work in those early days and then transition into a full-time writer which is what I've been since 2004.
2: Do you feel like you've been successful in it because of the way that you write or because of the things that you are writing about?
1: (laughs) I'd like to think it's both. Uh, I've always tried to go at this subject as an objective journalist, because that's how I started, was to say, like, well, how does this work? And I'm, I'm a tinkerer by, tra- by by nature. I just I love to figure out how things work. So I want to know, why does this one old building have a haunted reputation? And the one right next to it does not. What happened along the way that, that gave it that story? And so uh, I started collecting these stories. I started writing about them. And then f- somewhere along the way, I kind of figured out that this subject really taps into so many facets of the human experience. I mean, we're talking about life and death. We're talking about what happens after we die. What's the nature of the universe? Why are we here? Like the very biggest questions that humans have ever asked. And we have grown into such a a, a charged society. And that didn't happen in the last couple of years. It's been on its way for decades, really. And it's not okay to talk about religion or politics or all these other things. But yet we can tell ghost stories. And if you're a skeptic, and that's perfectly okay, you could say, ah, it's just a story. Cute story. I liked it, but it's just a story. If you're a believer, you might relate to it on a deeper level. But the reality is we're talking about death. We're talking about something that's going to affect every single one of us universally, right? We're all going to die. And if, if you don't spend at least a minute wondering what comes next, then you're lying to me. <laughs> you know, we've, we've all thought about that, whether we were brought up in a religion or not. And so I think that this just taps into something big. And obviously I'm not the only one because my goodness, there's television networks that have countless television shows on the subject now and so many websites and books and podcasts and, and so much other content that obviously people are hungry for at least to explore this topic.
2: When you started out, would you consider yourself to be more of a skeptic or more of a believer?
1: Uh, I think I, if you ask me on any given day, the pendulum kind of swings back and forth for me. I had no reason to doubt the people I would interview were, were profoundly moved by something they experienced. When when you're a journalist and you interview people, as I'm sure you know, you get a sense when someone's full of it, when they're just towing the company line when they're making something up and when they've been really shaken by something they've experienced it could be a car accident or or witnessing a murder when you look into their eyes and you see their whole body change and they say look this is what i saw and i am never going to forget it i've seen that in people and i've seen it many times and that made me think well i believe that you believe at the very least those were the early days and then after years and years of doing this and going to haunted places all over the world and Getting into some of these locations in the dark of night and so on, and then suddenly I've had my own experience, and then things change. You know, once you see something, when you say I can't explain this with any other word, that is a game changer. So I'm a believer who still remains, still uh, retains a healthy bit of skepticism.
2: What was the instance for you that kind of? They're like, all right, now I'm a believer. Was
1: yeah, it one specific so it was t- instance. Yeah, there was one specific instance. It was in 2003. And I'd been writing about ghosts for like six years at that point. i was, I'd, you know, done all kinds of work in the, the subject. But uh, I was in Paris, France. This was right before I left my lucrative tech job. They had sent me over there for a, a conference. And I had a day off, and I went down to the catacombs. And the catacombs are these series of tunnels, like 300 kilometers of them, all throughout the bottom of the city, uh, below the city. And uh, they quarried a lot of limestone in the building of Paris, and as Paris grew and sprawled, by the mid-1700s, the cemeteries, which were once on the outskirts of town, were now completely engulfed and surrounded and, and growing, and they had no more room for the dead. And some of these buildings are collapsing because the ground is hollow underneath and the buildings are getting bigger and heavier and so on. So they emptied the cemeteries between like 1750 and 1850 and moved all the bones underground. I went down there by myself cuz I didn't have anyone to go with me <laughs> and I'm going through these tunnels and it's uh, you know I'm making lefts and rights and then I come to this doorway with a sign in french above that says stop this is the empire of the dead And as I walked through, I was greeted by just millions of human skeletons all around me in this very macabre pattern. There's just retaining walls of leg bones and arm bones and human skulls that form arcs and rows of skulls and crosses and even valentine hearts made of human skulls. And it's just the heebie-jeebies like you wouldn't believe. But it's also strangely beautiful and macabre and fascinating. And I mean, they're right there, you can touch them. There's nothing to stop you, it's not behind glass. And I'm walking along down this long tunnel and suddenly I froze because a shadow the size of a man stepped right in front of me and went from the right side to the left and back. And I just, I stopped and I said, okay, wait, wait. If I put my hands out in both directions, I'd be touching skulls. No one came from behind me, it's narrow. And then I thought, well, maybe there's a little side tunnel up there somewhere, and someone's down here that I didn't know, and I, I keep walking, and no, there's no side tunnel. It's just one long straightaway. And as my brain is trying its best to figure out how to rationally explain what I just saw, I just couldn't, and I just was left with one word, ghost. Ghost or spirit, whatever, you know, whichever interchangeable word you want to use. And after that, I mean, it takes hours, days, weeks to sink in. And I thought, wow, this is what all those people that I'd interviewed before, this is what they're talking about. I didn't ask for it. I'm not psychic or sensitive. I can't see the future. I don't know what your dead grandma's up to. But in that moment, I saw something that I can't explain, and I'll never forget it.
2: Do you think that's pretty much what all of these stories have in common, right? When you talk to different people, it's just something there that no one can figure out what it is. Yeah. Well,
1: we can't help but put every human experience we have into some box or at least try to. And not even talking paranormal. I'm talking anything. You know, you meet someone and you go, oh, friend, foe, you know, someone I like, someone I dislike, someone who, you know, stands here politically. So they probably have all these kind of leanings, someone who stands there, whatever. We do it all the time. And when we get to be older, we have a a sense of how the world is supposed to work, and that's based on our level of education or lack of our religious upbringing, what we've been taught as kids, what we've been exposed to, and so on. And so when you see something that doesn't fall neatly into some category, some box – you can't help. You, you're going to reach into the deepest primal parts of the human experience, and you're going to be left with those words that uh, exist in every language and in every culture and in religious texts. Words like ghost, or demon, or monster, or, or apparition, whatever it is. That's that's the base, the least common denominator. That's how far down deep you go when you can't explain it.
2: Now, do you do paranormal investigation as well, or is it more of storytelling?
1: Yeah, I've done that. And I've discovered over the years that the most interesting part to me, the part that I can't argue with, is really the history, the story, the folklore, and and how it's changed over the years. I have sat all night with EMF meters and all the stuff that you see on TV. It's just not all that interesting to me. Because I know a lot of those, those, that equipment can get fooled by all kinds of things, you know. Um, And it's an EMF meter, which is an electromagnetic field reader that you see on the the various ghost hunting television shows. Something setting that off does not necessarily mean a ghost. It just means that it encountered an electromagnetic field or some kind of source. And so knowing all that, I'm like, you know, that's just not as fascinating to me as walking around and just breathing in a place. Legend tripping, I've called it. You know, you, you go to this old building that's got a haunted reputation and you you walk through and it's dark and it's creepy and you just see what you feel I never expect to see a ghost but once in a while something happens that just sends that chill up your spine and you leave with a story for the ages and that's the magic moment
2: when you went around for the world's most haunted places I think the obvious question is what are like if you had to pick top three what would you say are the top three most haunted places
1: So here I'm going to admit my bias. There are places where I've had either more access and more time or experiences that I can't explain, and those are going to weigh more heavily with me. So forgive me for that. But if I had to pick two or three, uh, one would be the White House in Washington, D.C., just because they're so well documented there by such credible people. And I actually wrote an entire book. It was a book for children, but it was then turned into an audio book. And it was just such an incredible experience to get access to the White House, interview the staff, and explore the presidential libraries and found so many instances of references to ghosts. It was just incredible. So that would be one. I, I love uh, Waverly Hills in Louisville, Kentucky, which is an old tuberculosis sanatorium. Just thousands of people went there to die in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. And it was just a whole other era and a time when a plague came through our country and took a lot of lives. And it's, uh, it's a story that I think needs to continue to be told because a plague will come again because historically they have you know they they do make their their ways around and then i also i love the queen mary in long beach california just because it's such a storied ship it's this transatlantic ocean liner that was pressed into military service and is just haunted throughout and when you step on that ship it's like walking into a time warp it's an incredible place
2: i'd never heard of the white house oh
1: yeah my goodness yeah so uh It was in my first book, The World's Most Haunted Places. It was just a chapter. And I found so much information that I said, wow, this should be its own book. And I started uh, pitching it as a children's book, a nonfiction children's book. And I called the White House. And within a minute, I was talking to the boss. It was incredible. The boss is the chief usher, by the way. And the chief usher is the person that about 100 employees report to. And that's the butlers, the cleaning crew, the groundskeepers. These are folks that have a job. It doesn't matter which political parties in power. Uh, this, this chief uh, usher that I spoke to had served every president between Nixon and George W. Bush. All of them. So he'd been there. For, he'd spend more time in that building than any president. If you think about it, I mean, if you're putting forty, fifty, sixty hours a week in for all those years, that's going to add up to more than even a two-term presidency. You know, given vacations and stuff. So this guy uh, had so many stories and stories of staff, and they're very careful about it, right? I mean, these these folks aren't kooks. They've been vetted. They've been drug tested. They've been psych screened. They've been background checked. And when they say, "I was walking down the hall," Uh, turning the lights on on the second floor, which is part of my normal duties, and I turn on the light and I see Abraham Lincoln sitting on a chair with his hands folded on his lap and his legs crossed, and he looks at me and then vanishes. That's as credible a witness as I will ever find. Now, that being said, lots of presidents have talked about seeing ghosts. Harry S. Truman wrote about the ghosts like six different times in letters to his wife. They come up in all kinds of correspondence and all kinds of discussions over and over, and you can check the presidential libraries for this, which I did. I went to all of them and got all of their references to ghosts. And uh, Jimmy Carter's daughter uh, used a Ouija board in the White House. Reagan talked about how his dog would just bark wildly right outside of the Lincoln bedroom at nothing, and obviously something in there had spooked him. Um, The the Clintons talked about the place being spooky. The Obamas had guests that said something was like grabbing at their feet in, in one of the bedrooms. It just comes up again and again and again. And I love that. Now, the presidents, we don't have to take their word for it because they don't get psychologically screened. They don't get drug tested. They don't get background checked, right? <laughs> they just get voted into office. Uh, but still, it's almost just, it's just this understood thing uh, at the White House. And it's its really fascinating how different uh, administrations have played with that reputation.
2: What would you say to somebody, though, that hears all of this? And I mean, there's a lot of different you know, verification and the stories corroborated and all these kind of things. And they're still just kind of like, Nope.
1: Yeah, that's okay. I, I mean, I'm not trying to convert anybody to anything. And so the thing to me is that a haunted place, like we cannot argue the term haunt or ghost. You can't argue it. It cannot be argued. You don't have to believe in life after death. But when I say ghost, when I say haunted, you can look it up in the dictionary. The word exists. The concept exists. And if you can accept that that is a reality, enough that Webster thought it should be in the dictionary, um, then, then then we're able to have a dialogue. You, you could still talk about ghosts in haunted places without making the leap to life after death. If you want, that's okay. Um, I don't personally go that way. But uh, here's an example. The Lizzie Borden house in Fall River, Massachusetts, is a house where in 1892, two people were murdered, a husband and wife, were murdered brutally with with an axe. And nobody has ever been punished for that crime. That's just a fact. And that haunts us. That house today is considered haunted. People have all kinds of strange experiences. At the most base level, the fact that someone got away with a double murder will haunt us for as long as we remember it. And that is, I think, one of the many ways that our our society and culture uses haunted places and ghost stories, because the unfinished business is really about us, the living people, not the dead ones, right? The unfinished business is that we never got justice for those two murder victims, and that's a powerful thing. That's something that can gnaw at us, even though everyone involved is so long dead now.
2: We talked about your top three. What's kind of your sleeper haunted place?
1: Oh, there's so many. I mean, battlefields are, are all not just haunted, but haunting. I mean, Gettysburg is a place that comes up on so many people's lists. And uh, uh, when you go out there, it's a powerful place just to, to stand in those battlefields. And I've been told before that it's disrespectful to imply that a ghost is, is still haunting. These are honorable men on both sides and uh, that it would be disrespectful to imply that they're still there. I think nothing's further from the truth. I think that if nothing else, Gettysburg is haunted because it should be because of a horrible thing that took place there where a nation was at war with itself when we still haven't fully learned that lesson. And so so please let it be haunted for as long as it needs to be, which might be another two, three hundred years for all it takes. Um, So I, I think that's, you know, those battlefields all have their stories. There's also the quirky ones that I love, you know ghost stories that are just, just strange, you know, um, uh, or, or, or that get mixed in with curses. There's, you know, headstones where if you, you sit on the lap of the statue, you're going to die within seven days, which of course, you know, most often does not happen, but you only need one, right? <laughs> you only need one person yeah. to die after doing it yeah. and, and that's enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, at this point, I really love how the, 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 the strange legends that kind of intermingle with other parts of, of culture and history.
2: Is there, when you look at it from a worldwide perspective, I mean, is there seem to be a culture, country or area that seems to put more stock into it, so to speak, or seems to have more of these places or more of a belief?
1: Yeah, sure. I was in England. I've been in England a few times now. And I remember going to a place right near Manchester up in the northern part of England. And there's a place called Orzel Hall. And it's uh, about 700 years old it's been standing, you know, and I was speaking with one of the docents and we were talking about the place and I said, hey, is this place haunted? And he was just incredulous. He said... It's a 700-year-old manor house in England. Of course it's haunted. Don't be ridiculous. You know, And, and I think that the Brits and, and a lot of Europe has this more matter-of-fact mentality about a haunting, whereas they could say, like, oh, yeah, it's haunted. Yeah, I've heard that too. And that's the end of it. We don't have to argue about angels and demons are good or bad or going to church or not going to church. It's just, yep, that place sure does have a reputation. And it makes sense. There's so much more uh, preserved history in Europe. Where I live in New England, I think we've we've adopted some of that uh, mentality. You know, we've got buildings in small towns where you go down Main Street, and that's exactly what it looked like 200 years ago. I mean, you know, without the traffic lights and and with just a few less Dunkin' Donuts. But but there was that's what the, it looked like. That was the town hall. That was this house and that house. And we we preserve it here. So for us, the idea of a a place being haunted isn't so strange. Uh, I've been to Africa looking for ghosts, whereas that uh, talking about ghosts in, in Tanzania, for example, is a little more triggering. That culture was, doesn't like to talk about them. Uh, I was in Peru just this past summer and they, they were OK talking about it in a, in a more uh, like arm's length kind of way because the Inca culture has talked about you know, for centuries how we all die two deaths. One is the physical death, and the second is the social death, to the point where the Incan people would mummify you and put you in caves. And it's so dry up there in the Andes Mountains that you stay pretty well preserved for a long time. And while mummification is not unique, of course, to Peru, it's Egypt and all kinds of other countries do it. What what the Incans would do is they would bring your body out like once a year for certain celebrations and festivals. So you are literally still influencing people after your death, literally doing it. They would bring you out and and talk about you and and your your corpse would be there among your, your family again, even years later. So that was really fascinating. I've been to Australia and they're I think they're they're very much like a, an American ideal on it. Uh, Asian cultures, people have been known to move if someone implies their house is haunted, just pick up and leave. They want nothing to do with it. So it's it's fascinating that everyone it has a it has some force of power, and pretty in every culture I've ever looked into, uh, whether you really believe it or disbelieve it or just take it as matter of fact, like yeah, that's that house is, is Tudor style and haunted or whether you are petrified of it and don't want to speak of it for fear of stirring something up.
2: I don't think I'm going to ask this question in a a good way in terms of phrasing, but I (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) I think you'll know what I'm trying to get at. Did you, in your experience or with other people who kind of delve into the paranormal, so to speak, or with people that you've talked to, how do they reconcile the aspect of it, ghosts and religion, right? Like how do those two things kind of come together?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I was raised Catholic, and I think for Catholics, and, and I, that's what I can speak to most because I went through the whole rigmarole from confirmation, you know, all the way up through confirmation. And Catholics believe in God, and they believe in the devil, and they believe in angels, and they believe in demons, and they believe in saints. And they believe in purgatory. There's a whole spectrum there, dude. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Got, there's, there's so much gray area between black and white. You know, like there's, it's all there. And so I think ghosts would fall very neatly in any number of categories in there. And, um, uh, you know, if you're a Christian person, there's a passage in the Bible right where Jesus comes back from the dead, and this is. This is the whole faith hinges on this experience, this story, by the way, right? This is the Easter story, the the story that Jesus died and was resurrected. And he stands before his disciples and he says, you look as though you've seen a ghost. I'm not a ghost. I'm flesh and blood. He uses the word ghost twice in the Bible passage. And he doesn't say there's no such thing as ghosts. He just says, I'm not one. So if you're a Christian person maybe you could believe jesus i don't know uh so there's that uh the buddhists a ghost could be anything from like a thought form or a talpa to uh, any number of other things in the jewish faith there's an exorcism uh where, where they they have something um called a dybbuk and a dybbuk will is a spirit who will cling to you and might influence you now the in the jewish faith a dibbek could be good like you're trying to lose weight and a spirit that did that in life might cling to you and kind of help you through the hard part and then calmly leave. But a divot could also be bad. You know, you're thinking about doing drugs or robbing a liquor store and a bad spirit might cling to you. So this comes up. You know, uh, and Muslims have the jinn, which is like a demonic kind of creature. So they're, they're in the books, they're referenced in some way in all the major religions. So I think it reconciles just fine. You just may choose not to talk about it because it might rattle your brain a little too much.
2: Do you think more people are talking about it now than they would have been before?
1: Oh, I promise you, and that is because ghosts have moved into popular culture, and that's because so many television shows that uh, you know have been on the air now really steadily since about oh, two thousand four right was ghost hunters on sci-fi and i've worked for the show ghost adventures on the travel channel since 2008 that's 11 years and running we're still doing new shows and it's uh there's so many paranormal shows and what that does is it makes it okay to talk about so in the 1980s you might not be comfortable around your office water cooler talking about ghosts or spirits because someone would think you're not sitting you might get fired today it's. It, you could say like, hey, did you see that ghost adventure show Saturday night on Travel Channel? That was pretty crazy, that thing. You know what? In the building I live in, I've had something weird like that happen. And it starts this discussion where it's okay and it's out in the open. And I'm all for the discussion because I think it is a way for people to connect, right? When you share... A ghost story or a personal experience with someone else what you're really saying is i'm I'm trusting you with this i'm i'm bonding with you over something that's not mundane we're not just talking about sports scores or the weather you know we're talking about something that's deeper and it's an incredible way for one person to bond with another for one person to explore our past and to kind of ponder our own inevitable future because as i said earlier we are all going to die one day
2: yeah, that's not really a conversation starter, right? I mean, you kind of like you're saying you do have to know that person a little bit before you just bring that up,
1: right? But but at the same time, it's an incredible icebreaker. So you know, even when I'm taking vacations, uh, I've, I'll go look for haunted places when I'm someplace interesting. It's a part of my life now. I was in Alaska in Juneau, and I went in on a cruise ship. It was you know, years ago, but it was a great trip. And I went into the Alaskan hotel because I heard ahead of time that it was haunted. And there's, you have to realize Juno's population at the time was like 20,000 people. And when three cruise ships pull in the population, you know, practically doubles in the span of a few hours for the day. And then they all leave. So these tourists are everywhere. And, and, Tourists are cheesy, let's face it, let's be honest. And I walked into the Alaskan Hotel and I said, hey, look, I heard this place is haunted and I'm a guy who collects ghost stories and I'm really interested in this. And this manager just kind of sizes me up for a minute and he's like, hey, Mark, come here. Tell him what you saw coming down the stairs that one time. And suddenly he's around me and he's telling me about the this victorian era lady he saw coming down the stairs in the bar area and then someone else says oh you're telling ghost stories i had this happen here and suddenly i'm no longer a cheesy tourist it all happened in under 60 seconds i went from cheesy tourist to "Ooh, interesting talking about something that's below the surface that's unique to juno i wasn't looking for like a starbucks or something i was looking for something that exists nowhere on earth but in the alaskan hotel in Juneau. and they were they were happy to share it with me and if i stayed another hour i would have been invited to sunday dinner and that was awesome
2: what was your overall scariest experience just oh my gosh i've got to get out of here
1: we were in a place called Penhurst Asylum, which is right outside of Philadelphia, and we were filming a show called Paranormal Challenge, which was a spin off of Ghost Adventures uh, for the travel Channel and I had gotten there um, you know with the, with the film crew we were there early, and I was down in these tunnels that connected these buildings and Penhurst, if you know the history, is just so dark it was an asylum for uh, mentally disabled people. And it was shut down in the late 1970s. I want to stress 1970s because of atrocities that were taking place to the people inside. There was an expose done. There's now a federal law called the Penhurst Law having to do with how you can and can't treat people with mental disabilities because of the atrocities that took place inside the building that I was standing in. Uh, People were were kept in cages, uh, Patients, if you bit someone more than once, your teeth were removed surgically. It was inhuman how these poor people were, were being treated. And this, they were short-staffed, underfunded, and uh, stuff you you wouldn't – if people did this to cats and dogs, we would hang them, publicly hang them and not apologize for it. But they were human beings, and it was terrible. And knowing that, before you get there, you, you can feel the sorrow and the, and the angst in the very walls of the building. And we're below the building in these tunnels that connected – the the various buildings underground and two minutes there and just this rush of air goes by and we hear this faint laughter in the distance and three of us are down there there's no cameras rolling or anything we're just exploring just look at each other and go whoa you heard that too didn't you and it's one of those moments where you connect to not only this potentially supernatural experience but then knowing what happened there and knowing that those tunnels are where people were horribly beaten raped and worse uh suddenly it just kind of all comes together and i call it basic human empathy Uh, again not psychic but empathy means you can tune into the emotions of others and i don't think it's that much of a stretch to tune into the emotions of the people who were there at one point and are not there now And when you feel that and you hear the laughter and the rush of cold air, it just kind of all came together and I was more than happy to get out of there and get above ground again.
2: Do you ever meet any friendly ones?
1: (laughs) Most of them, by the way. Not that I don't meet a lot of ghosts. I really don't. However, uh, I've had thousands upon thousands of people tell me their stories at this point, either in person, when I do these story tours or uh, email or whatever. And the most common story I hear Uh, The narrative goes something along the lines of, I just want to tell you, my grandma died when I was 20 years old, and I wanted her to be at my college graduation so bad, and she died just like three weeks early, and it was two weeks after my graduation, and I was sitting there in her house, and I was looking through some of her stuff, and suddenly there she was in the kitchen. She looked at me. She smiled. I just started to cry. I felt so warm inside, and then she just disappeared that is the most common story i hear again and again and again i think they get frightening um, the next level would be frightening because if you live in a house that you believe is haunted and you're alone and you hear someone walking around when you know no one else should be there that is scary it doesn't mean that that thing means you any harm but yeah that's frightening you should call the police and make sure that you don't have an intruder the, the most rare is the malevolent stuff the stuff that uh we hear about that where people are getting scratched or pushed or attacked by something that they can't see and they can't control that's the most frightening but it's so rare but that's the stuff that hollywood turns into horror movies
2: has there ever been a place that you wouldn't go like i'm not i'm not doing that
1: no, I, I really – I mean if you tell me like this is the most haunted place on earth, everybody gets turned inside out and their head pops off, like I would have to at least go try it even if I lose my head in doing so. I, there's, I mean I've been in cemeteries, graveyards, uh, dungeons of old medieval castles, you name it. Um, the only thing that would scare me away potentially is uh, rabies and the structural integrity of some of these old buildings. Um, I remember we were in this one building one time, and uh, it was late at night, and it was an old building. And you know those those old solid wood doors that would be on offices? I mean, oh. they're not hollow at all. They weigh a ton. They're yeah, solid. Yeah, yeah.
2: This thing's
1: leaning against the wall, and right behind us, it gets pushed over to the floor. It's as loud as a grenade, right? Boom! Just... Whoo! Leaping up, flashlights flashing, we're shining lights in every direction, and then this gigantic raccoon just lumbers out from right behind the doorway and uh and you know raccoons often can have rabies, and he just knocked over this door, and we're in this small hallway and like that's really scary, not paranormal whatsoever, but you know one of those moments where you're you're glad you brought the extra pair of pants in the car
2: uh, so all these ghost stories, and you get scared by a raccoon
1: <laughs> a raccoon that's the one, yeah.
2: Are you ready for the hard-slash-listener questions?
1: Ready. Fire away.
2: What makes a haunted house scarier? Haunted house with an attic? Haunted house with a basement?
1: Oh, my gosh. That's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Come on. You just got to put that to a vote. I uh, I always find basements creepier. I don't know why, but that's just me. And that's like, you know, what's your favorite pizza topping? There's no wrong answer.
2: Does the square footage of a haunted house matter? <laughs>
1: No, <laughs> who asked that?
2: Um,
1: <laughs> Trixie Bob Vila, like that's <laughs> Bob Vila's. Uh, no, I don't. I've never size matters not to quote Yoda.
2: <laughs> that was Trixie Jane that was wondering if the square footage mattered oh. and how scary it was.
1: Thanks, Trixie. Well, I guess you know if if big wide open spaces scare you. Then, as an individual, then yes, the giant places would be fr- more frightening to you. And if creepy, claustrophobic places scare you, then the smaller the place might be more frightening. It's the funny thing with fear, right? So the two most difficult things to do, if you're any kind of content creator, is to make someone laugh or to scare them, because humor and fear is so subjective. Like I don't really, I don't like snakes at all, but you might have one as a pet. So if we were somewhere and a couple of snakes slither by, I might be having the heebie-jeebies and throw a conniption in the corner, and you might be, like, finding a dead mouse to hand them, you know, and, and trying to pet them. That's the thing, is that there's no universal thing that we fear. And so um, so the square footage, footage question, which I initially scoffed at, is now, I'm sorry, Trixie, I'm giving it a minute it makes a lot of sense, depending on which which you want to tap into.
2: Scariest and least scary movie ghost. <laughs>
1: I always found well I, if you'd forgive me to jump to Demon, I always found the Exorcist most frightening. that movie still scares me. I think I saw it when I was too young, like too young to actually I should not have been allowed to see it, and I did, and it pretty much scarred me. That one really scared me least scary uh wasn't Bill Cosby a ghost in one of those movies th- it was
2: it was he it was somebody it was like ghost Dad, or it was either him or Eddie yeah. Murphy right.
1: Yeah, that would, I'll have to say Cosby. Although in hindsight now, who knows? Maybe I could revise that.
2: But. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's that might change a little bit. Um, yeah, what's what's coming up? I, that's all the questions I got, man. What's coming up next for you? Where can people check you out?
1: yeah so i'm uh i do my own weekly podcast called new england legends where we just tell like a 10 minute story from new england we've got voice actors and music and sound effects it's super fun i do that every week it's free wherever you get your podcasts uh i've got um a whole fall tour i'm doing so i'm all over new england for the month of october and into november and then i do my creepy christmas program where we talk about some of the monsters and dark legends of christmas which is super fun and still writing ghost adventures every week on the travel channel so uh saturday nights at nine uh um, there's a new season that's just about to start up. And uh, and in the winter, I'll probably start working on some, some new books as well. So just always something. You can find me on social media or, or on the web, wherever you find your creepy stuff.
2: Last question for me. If you had to pick one story of a ghost, not the ghost, but the story behind the ghost, which one would you be your favorite? Oh, how long do we have? As much time <laughs> as you need. all right. All right. <laughs>
1: This is like my my new favorite story, um, because I just looked into it sort of recently, and it's very fresh. There, uh, Rhode Island, smallest state in the U.S., Um, the founder of Rhode Island is a guy named Roger Williams. There's Roger Williams uh, College, there's the zoo, there's parks, all kinds of things named after this guy. He was this um, uh, radical preacher who was first a, a preacher with the Church of England, then became a Puritan, came to the came to boston in the 1630s and he had radical ideas about uh you know that the native americans should have their own sovereign land and that people should be free to worship however they want and and his most radical idea was there should be a wall of separation between church and state the guy was clearly nuts and so pretty soon massachusetts kicks him out um Bans him from Massachusetts Bay Colony, but he had the gift of language, and he befriended a lot of Narragansett Indians and learned their language. And so, when he got banned in Massachusetts, they said, "Hey, come south; we got some room for you. You could set up shop down here." So the guy starts preaching in in this area that would go on to become the town of Providence, the city of Providence, and uh, he he really had these these ideas, and, and and it was working because some disenfranchised Puritans came south to to in his community. He lived to see the King Phillips War more or less burn Rhode Island to the ground, and then he lived to see most of his Native American friends get pushed away through these horrible battles. And by the time he died in the 1680s, he was sort of an afterthought. But then, a hundred years later, when these guys are writing the uh, Constitution and Bill of Rights, they said, hey, this guy Roger Williams had a great idea with the separation of church and state. And suddenly, his legend gets this huge shot in, a, shot in the arm a hundred years after his death. And Rhode Island now is starting to feel proud of the old guy. They're like, hey, wait, he's our founder. He founded Providence and then Rhode Island. And he was a governor and he had a hand in the Constitution and he's an early patriot. This guy's important. So we fast forward to 1860 and they're going to exhume his body from his little family plot and give him a, a better monument and really start to make this guy a big deal. And they go there and they find his grave right near this ancient apple tree. And when they dig it up they're just shocked at what they see. And the papers covered it. Lots of newspapers covered this. Uh, The the roots from the apple tree had grown into his casket and more or less consumed the corpse of Roger Williams. Now, the folks from the, the Historical Society, not one to miss an opportunity, they cut the root of the tree and they took up his remains. And it's just bone fragments and teeth and stuff at this point, and they bring it back to their museum. And it sat in storage for years and years so many people kept asking about the tree root that ate roger williams and eventually they would put it on display in their museum which is where it is today and it's in this this museum called the john brown house john brown is the uh, it's the house right next to brown university and i went down there and the building has this kind of spooky reputation because the root that ate rhode island founder roger williams is on display right there on the wall And when I asked the curator, I said, you know, I read in the newspapers in the 1860s how you'd gathered up his bones and stuff. And she said, oh, yeah. I said, well, what happened to that? She said, well, we we still have him in storage. I said, and I'm guessing storage is like beneath our feet in the basement of this building. She's like, oh, yeah, that's that's where it is. And I said, so the founder of Rhode Island, (laughs) Roger Williams, his what's left of him is in a shoebox below us in this building. And the tree root that ate him is right over there on the wall. She's like, yeah, that's that's true. And I'm like, huh, that would haunt me too, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I Man. love that story.
2: I want to thank Jeff so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're somebody who really likes ghost stories, I can't think of a better resource than him to just find out about all of these different places and these different stories. There's, it, it's amazing how, how detailed some of it is. Now let's transition to a complete lack of details and give John Shaw a call. Hello? Do you feel like you're getting smarter or dumber? Oh, well, definitely dumber. What, what, what age? You're 32 now. At what age do you think that you, well, started, you started getting dumber?
0: Probably twenty one is when I when I think I probably started getting dumber.
2: All right. I mean you were still in college then. I feel like that's awfully early to start getting dumber. I was gonna say probably twenty twenty nine for me is when I think I started getting dumber. Like I think I peaked and then I've been slowly decreasing ever since then.
0: Well, I mean I, I look at it this way. I if I was gonna if I if I if I was really thinking about it, I met you when I was what? Twenty three, twenty four? No. 22, maybe?
2: No. We haven't possibly known each other for that long.
0: Yeah, I mean, we met in 2011. Okay. So it's been at least eight years.
2: All right, so that would be 24.
0: Yeah, 23 or 24. I can't remember when I moved on to Orlando, but either way, that's probably when my life really started coming to an end.
2: Can you Can you think of anybody that you could honestly say, though, when I met that person, my life started going downhill? Like, I'm worse for knowing that person.
0: No, I mean, no, no, I don't have anyone in my life like that. I mean, if you have somebody like that in your life, that just brings you. I mean, you're one of those people that may, like I, I question why I keep you around. OK, you know, because all you do is make me feel shitty about my life and that I'm a shitty person and that I, you know, you know, I have to be on the bottom because I'm already too big. I mean, it's just all these things that go through my head being your friend. But um, I wouldn't say that I have anyone in my life that as soon as i started knowing them i'm like man my life is worse off
2: i would say that there's some people that i would definitely be better off not knowing at all
0: yeah i would agree with that but in terms of like
2: would you name them
0: no no probably not
2: (laughs) you don't want to just name them real quick (laughs)
0: no i i you know I, i don't need i don't need anyone's you know feelings to get too hurt but i think if you know me uh, you might have an idea of, of some of them, but um,
2: so overall, you think that your contribution to the world society positive, negative, or neutral?
0: That's a, that's a very tough question to answer. Uh, I don't think it's a I tough question
2: say, at all. I think it's pretty easy.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> I, th- I think it's complicated because I like to think that I, I, you know, I make a positive difference, but maybe I don't. And however, you know, then you get into politics because I'm middle class. So I mean, I'm really not making any kind of difference because I don't really matter. It's all these things. I, I would say neutral, just to stay, just to stay on track.
2: Yeah, I would say my my life is probably neutral. At the same time, let me. Add, this is my last question that I want to ask you. If you walk by a haunted house, are you going into the haunted house or are you staying away from the haunted house?
0: I mean, I stay away from the haunted house, but not because I'm scared. I I think I touched on this a couple episodes ago. I just don't like those kind of places.
2: Well, then how how are you not scared of it? Then I mean, because I'm, not, did, I'm not. If you don't like I'm, it, you're probably, it's because you're scared of it.
0: No, it's not that I'm scared of it. I just don't like. I don't like. I don't like the interactions with with the people because some people take it too far. And it makes me wanna inflict. No, I'm upon not
2: talking them. I'm not talking about some kind of like Disneyland haunted house. I'm talking about like a haunted house on the street.
0: Oh, that might actually really be haunted. Yeah. if there was a house that that I knew was actually haunted and someone offered me a chance to stay the night, I probably would, but I feel like everybody would say that. If the opportunity was actually in front of me, I, I don't know what I would say, but I'm going to go ahead and say that I would
2: probably say yes. Okay, I would definitely say no. After you die, and let's say whoever, somebody offers you a chance, like, hey, you can just stay here and wherever you're at, or you can come back and haunt this place, but you got to be there for a hundred years. Are you going to do it?
0: Oh, man, that's a, that's a good question. Um, Once again, I, I want to say yes, but it, I don't know if I actually would. But I, I'll say that I would say yes.
2: Okay, let's let's say that you only you're gonna stay in this place wherever it is for a thousand years. That's that's like the amount of time you get to spend in this place after you die. And he says, or you can stay and haunt this place for a hundred years and then you got nine hundred years left in the place. Like ten percent of your time you gotta go haunt something and then you can <laughs> hang around. Now what are you doing?
0: I'm definitely haunting it. I mean how that's pretty badass i would say like that's a good deal i would probably up it to be like can i have half my time being a scary badass ghost and the other half just you know just living in the house
2: i would love that i'd love to after i die like get to come back and just kind of float around the earth just check (laughs) stuff out
0: (laughs) i mean now if you were to come back like say you were given the option like what kind of ghost would you be would you be one of those like evil spirits or would you be like the occasional ghost that just like knocks a can off the shelf no, just I th- to scare somebody?
2: I think I would be mainly what I am in life, just kind of annoying, not, <laughs> not necessarily go either way. Like I would just kind of screw with people a little bit, right? Like after you got in the house, say you were carrying your groceries in and it took you a lot of effort to close the door. I would wait a couple of seconds and then open the door back up. Like, I would just be a general pain in the ass. I wouldn't really do anything (laughs) bad. I would just annoy you because it would be funny.
0: (laughs) I always thought it would be awesome to be like a ghost in a sporting event. Like, you know, like final play of the Super Bowl and you, like, knock the ball away or something.
2: You know what I mean? But not completely knock it away. Just, like, move it a half inch. So it looks like it's the other person's fault. Like, mm, he just screwed it up. It wasn't a ghost. He just messed it up.
0: Yeah, so it's just something like that. Like some big monumental moment where you just completely ruin it for somebody, which... Yeah. I guess if you really think about it, it makes you a dick. But at that point, what does it matter?
2: Yeah, you're already dead. What are they going to do to you? Um, would you haunt family members or would you rather haunt people you didn't know at all?
0: Mm, that's a tough one. Could I... Do they have to be... Can they be like my best friends? Like, could I come back and haunt you?
2: You could, but then you get less time haunting, right? Like, the more you know the person, the less time you get haunting them.
0: Oh, fuck it, then. I'll just do randos. I'll just do random strangers.
2: Yeah, I would probably haunt, like, the neighbors of people I knew.
0: (laughs) You know what's funny is, I, I think you nailed that earlier. You would be... You would be, like, an opportune ghost, man. You would be a great ghost just because you would think of all these ways to haunt the people you wanted to haunt by, like, going through other means to do it.
2: That's what I would do. Like, I would haunt the neighbor's house next door and do something like move the fire hydrant so that they're parked in front of the fire hydrant and they get a ticket. <laughs> just, like, little shit like that that would just really annoy you. Um, do you have your segment? Are you ready to go?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm on point this week. Since last week, it was a little confusing.
2: All right, let's skip it. Let's go straight to the top five.
0: <laughs> if, if that's what you want to do, I'm prepared for either or, my friend. All
2: right, let's hear it. Let's hear. Let's let's wow us.
0: All right, so uh, you have to pick one: a pumpkin spice latte or a shamrock shake.
2: Oh, <laughs> that's a good <laughs> shamrock shake. <laughs> just because the shamrock shake probably tastes more like shit. And if I'm going to have to do something, like I'm going to do it. Like, let's just make this as awful as possible and go shamrock shake over pumpkin spice latte.
0: <laughs> I hope there's some people out there that's disappointed in your decision because pumpkin spice lattes are pretty delicious, actually. But
2: I, Actually, neither never had either one, but that doesn't matter. What's your next one?
0: Did you ever have pumpkin spice spam? No. <laughs> Me either, but it's a thing. Um, I got into a huge debate this How week about How expensive is
2: it? How expensive? Did you check the price?
0: No, I don't know the price. It's a, I, all, I, all I read was it was limited edition pumpkin spice spam.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people are probably going to pass on that. Or apparently in Hawaii, <laughs> it's like a real delicacy. They really enjoy it. S-
0: spam? That's mm-hmm. disgusting.
2: Uh, why don't you not insult all of our Hawaiian audience?
0: <laughs> I apologize to our Hawaiian audience, but spam is still uh, uh, disgusting.
2: How many times have you had it, actually,
0: dude? I look at me. I've had spam plenty of times.
2: <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> spam,
0: spam and a shout out to my Vienna sausage crowd as well.
2: Uh, for people who only listen on the audio version and have never seen John, just imagine a person who looks like spam, and yeah, that that that's what he looks like. There you go.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's
2: that's it's completely I, accurate. I can, like
0: I can see a lot of people like listening to this and like trying to Google me now, and and the first thought that pops in their mind is, yeah, he does look like a can of spam. All right, he does. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bacon round and uh, doesn't taste very well. Anyways, no, uh-uh. um, so I got into a huge debate this week on this, and I'm probably wrong. So I want you to obviously. Probably just keep stepping on my carcass um so i'm an american i'm a huge soccer fan (sighs) but i i still call it football like they do in the rest of the
2: world you're an asshole (laughs) don't be an asshole you're an asshole if you're an american and you purposely go out and call it football you're an asshole You don't even need to ask whatever the question is. You're the asshole. I don't even have to be. Don't be that guy who shows up to the game and puts a fucking scarf on his neck and talks about the midfielder and how he needs to be covering the ball better. No one gives a shit. If you live in the United States, you can watch your soccer. You can enjoy your soccer. I like your soccer, but don't fucking call it football because that's not okay.
0: hope i i i tried putting the phone away i really don't know what you just said because i was laughing so hard um but uh, all right i knew you i i I heard you ranting so i'm glad i got i hope i got like a really like fiery response from you yeah what's your Uh, question
2: uh
0: what was that question
2: yeah what was the end question before ever you enraged every (laughs) buddy who's ever had a budweiser
0: it was. It was really just, you know. Do you call? Do you call it soccer or football?
2: No, you call get... it soccer. And if that was put to a vote, it should be nine hundred and ninety-nine to one out of a thousand. And you're going to be the only person who puts a one. Don't be that person who tries to fucking class it up and tries to be cool. I'm going to call it football because that's what they call it. No, we don't.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's. uh whew, why did I... Out of out of the three things I picked, I had no idea that that was going to be the one that's uh, like got you most uh, most animated. That
2: this is being that's just being an asshole. <laughs>
0: uh, all right, this one's pretty easy. Uh, but I I just, you know, I think it's a good topic. Uh, high-end liquor or bottom shelf. Oh fuck. If, Hold on. Let's <laughs> see. Say say you have $50 to spend. Are you going high-end or are you going multiple bottom or multiple bottles of bottom shelves
2: what am i what am i doing am i like am i at a work party and i need to keep it kind of together or am i just like i'm at my house and i can go wild
0: yeah you're just it's
2: just a friday night and
0: you're just going to your grocery store and you have a 50 dollar bill that you're bottom shelf
2: going bottom (laughs) shelf all day (laughs) every day Ugh. And screw you if you want to drink the nice stuff while watching your football game.
0: <laughs> See, look, at that, uh, that was kind of painless. But, uh, and then a quick shout out to, uh, to Geneva, who was on my side, by the way, on our, uh, on our top five, who backed me up and said, you do have to pay property taxes twice a year. Seeing that baffled you that I said we had to pay taxes you twice a year. You don't
2: have here. to pay twi- taxes twice a year. You're splitting it up into two different categories. You don't have to pay <laughs> it twice a year. It's a yearly property tax. You're just deciding to pay it twice.
0: You could be technically right, but we're going to say summer and winter are technically two different Okay, so uh, here's entities.
2: here's my problem with that, right? We had all these people who commented on stuff and voted on stuff, and you picked the one person who agreed with you. But everybody else didn't agree with you, right?
0: Actually, I won the uh, top five, sixty-three to 37. That
2: doesn't mean – oh, that's actually pretty good. Um, <laughs> that doesn't mean, though, that you're right about the winter and summer taxes, right? You can't – you say, well, one person thinks two and two is five, so I must be correct.
0: No, I was just giving her a shout. I was also going to give you a shout-out. Oh, thank you. And say say that Mike agreed with you and said that one of mine on the top five was having to talk to my neighbors, and for some reason he thinks that you don't have to talk to your neighbors, so he gave you a vote, Uh, which I don't know where he lives –
2: it's a it's definitely a regional thing i've lived in kansas florida arizona washington and a couple of other states to make me sound more like a douchebag but i can tell you this it's definitely a regional thing right like arizona you don't talk to your neighbors you don't look at your neighbors you don't exist you don't even acknowledge that your neighbors exist in washington where i live in seattle you absolutely talk to your neighbors you talk to them every single time
0: yeah because then if you don't hear that weird creepy neighbor that's just you know, they think you're eating Spam all day.
2: Yeah, I'm tired of being that guy.
0: Listen, I am pumped yeah, me too. for our top five this week. I am excited. I can't wait for you just to demolish my list.
2: Can you? Can we have, like, a John Schultz boner meter? Where are uh, you at right now? Are you rocking? Are you uh, mildly aroused? You full oh staff? God. Where are you at? Let's have a boner meter.
0: <laughs> Uh I would say that I'm I'm between chub and and half mass probably.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, we need to do a top 5 on top 5 funniest ways to refer to sexual things cuz I think Chubb is definitely on there.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, I mean it's just a fun funny word <laughs> a like a funny word to say.
2: Chubb Chubb,
0: <laughs>
2: Chubb. <laughs> Oh, my God. And go fuck yourself. Um, all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, so top five. Our list this time is top five fictional ghosts. I'm pretty pumped up. I think I went with some sleeper ones that that are going to make you groan at first, but you're going to be like, oh, dang, that's actually pretty good. Uh, what's your number five?
0: So my number five is from Pac-Man. Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde.
2: You motherfucker! That's my number two. I didn't think you would pick that at all.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll let you do more of the explaining since you have them higher on your list. But I mean, they're iconic, and I nobody knows their fucking. Like, I didn't know their names.
2: Well, how did Mow you? Get, how did you get Clyde? There's got to be one other thing that rhymes with Blinky, Pinky, Inky. You could have went Stinky. <laughs> <laughs> you just went Clyde like you just gave it up there's got to be some story there
0: i'm sure there's a reason that is out there that we just we don't do the research so we why would we know
2: yeah i think that's way too low on the list actually i think that they need to be much higher
0: all right well i maybe i have a couple of sleepers
2: okay my number five is a uh, big boo from super mario Oh, he's my number four. Oh. God damn it. <laughs> okay. So your number four is Big Boo from Super Mario. Uh, That was my number five. My number four is Sam Wheat, who people will probably better know as Patrick Swayze and Ghost.
0: Oh, you son of a b- I, He's all my honorable mention. Like I, I'm like, if I put him on my list, Nick is never going to let me hear the end of it, ever.
2: No, he's up there in terms of fictional ghosts, man. He's he's way up
0: there. Yeah, he I mean he's awesome, man. It's Patrick Swayze. I mean, come on.
2: Yeah, isn't he Quid Kurt Russell's twin brother?
0: Oh my god, we're moving on. Don't you ever put him in the same category as 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 a legend of cinematic history like Kurt Russell.
2: Kurt Russell and Patrick Swayze are the same person. I don't even, I really don't even know if you gave me a list of the movies that they've been in. I don't know which one is Patrick Swayze and which one is Kurt Russell. They're the same person.
0: This is why most people hate you for what you just said.
2: (laughs) All right, let's Uh, move on to your number three.
0: Yeah, my number three, uh, I went with Slimer.
2: that's my number three, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, Slimer's pretty. I, he's not worthy of the top. I feel like he's not worthy of the top to me, but he's up there. Definitely.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's iconic. He's pretty badass. Uh, I mean, I I don't know how else to put him. I mean, I'll never forget. I had an action figure of him, uh, where he was (laughs) actually like jello, like jelly. It was awesome. I don't know what the hell happened to it. I'm sure my dad probably threw it in the middle of the street, but no big deal.
2: <laughs> no biggie. All right, what's your number two?
0: Uh, so this is a tie for me. I have the Twins from The Shining.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: If anyone's uh, ever seen that, and uh, Casper.
2: Wow, Casper wasn't your number one? No. Oh, that's surprising. Okay, my number one is Casper the Friendly Ghost. Who's your number one, then? Beetlejuice. Oh... I thought about it, but I just—I don't really think of him necessarily as a ghost, right? Like, I don't think of him in the same way as I because I was looking at like a list of fictional ghosts, and there was a bunch that I didn't really think of as ghosts necessarily. Like, you could yeah, make—I mean, you could make an argument. That,
0: surprise anyone that knows me, but I love Beetlejuice. When I was a little kid, apparently, my parents would put it on repeat for me because it's the only movie that would get me to shut the hell up.
2: <laughs> How old were you?
0: Uh, I mean, I'm probably between two to four.
2: You really shouldn't have been watching Beetlejuice in between the ages of two and four.
0: Well, you know my, uh, I'm, I'm not going to question my my parent, you know my parents' uh, parenting decisions. But you're probably right. on yeah,
2: you I think, uh, yeah, that's probably a poor parenting decision. I shouldn't <laughs> have been doing that. Um, yeah, because that, but I don't think of him as a ghost. Like, there's a lot of people you could say are ghost. Yoda, he's a force ghost, Anakin Skywalker, like, those were all, but I don't consider them to be hardcore ghosts, necessarily. Not like I think of the Pac-Man people, or Casper the Friendly Ghost.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I have, like, on my honorable mention, like, I have, um, Bruce Willis from The Sixth Sense. Okay. Because, I mean, he's a ghost, right, but, like, I guess you think of him as a ghost, but I, you know, I, I don't really, um. And then I also I also had uh, Patrick Swayze from Ghost. I also had the ghost from The Grudge. I don't know its name. I guess it's just called The Grudge, the creepy-ass woman.
2: Are you thinking of The Ring or are you thinking of The gr- the Grudge?
0: The the Grudge, but The Ring is a good one, too. I didn't even think about her.
2: Well, is Freddy Krueger technically a ghost?
0: Mm. I, you know what? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I thought he was more of like an apparition, like because he's in your dreams.
2: What's the difference?
0: Listen, I, I, you, I you don't pay me enough to know that.
2: Okay, who else you got on your honorable mention?
0: Uh, I had to go with Gengar, the Pokemon. Yeah, you loser!
2: I put that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: let's see. Um, is he the
2: is he the only is he the main Pokemon ghost or are there other Pokemon ghosts?
0: Well, there's Haunter there's ghostly there's ghastly uh that's pretty much where my knowledge stops maybe there's some newer
2: why would you go with gengar then above haunty haunty Uh, seems like
0: gengar is like the highest evolution like he's the most
2: badass he's yeah okay all right that sounds yeah he sounds like a badass (laughs)
0: um that was that was pretty much it i mean thinking off the top of my head um uh, I wanted to put Ghostwriter on there just because it was Nicolas Cage, but I didn't. Uh, um, what an asshole. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I mean that's uh, it, it was a t- it was a tough top five. I'm actually quite surprised that you and I were kind of in sync on it. To be honest,
2: well, some of them. I mean, I feel like Casper has to be up there. Once you think about it, the Pac Man ghosts have to be up there. Mario has to be up there. I mean, they're beggar. Some of the ones that I had on honorable mention that you didn't have was uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past from Scrooge.
0: Yeah, I mean, those are yeah, that, those are good.
2: The Headless Horseman.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's actually and that could be a top five too. I mean, that was that's iconic.
2: And uh, Space Ghost. Space Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare sleep on. That's actually a really good one. If you've never seen Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and you're a little bit stoned, you should definitely watch that.
0: (laughs) Pretty much uh, what Nick's advocating is just get really high and watch uh, cartoons at midnight.
2: Right, right, right. That's good life philosophy. And then you won't turn into somebody who calls soccer football.
0: Or somebody who eats a lot of spam. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of the Profoundly Pointless podcast. I want to thank Jeff so much for joining us. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. We love hearing from you guys. It's it's really fascinating to hear what other people put in their top fives. And if you have any good ghost stories, I want to hear them. Send us your best ghost stories, too.